You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. Welcome back to the Big Data Beard podcast. I'm Brett Roberts. I'm going to be your host for this episode. With me is Corey Mitten, who is shamming today a little bit. He's decided not to host, and uh, he's given me the awesome opportunity, and I'm really excited for it. And we're recording at the O'Reilly Media's AI conference in beautiful New York City. And I am really excited about our guest today. A lot of the episodes we've recorded talk about AI in the enterprise and how organizations are enabling customers to do more with AI. But today we're gonna to talk about a really important part, and that's AI for good, and how does AI help society? And our guest today is Anna Bethke uh, from Intel. And uh, Anna, welcome. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, we're glad you're here. Do me a favor, just tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background. Certainly. So I grew up in Colorado and went off to school in Boston. So I went to MIT for aerospace engineering um, and sort of quickly pivoted away from aerospace. But I've always just loved the stars and engineering, science, um, math. I researched when I was doing my master's human factors engineering. So this is how do computers and people interact together? So how do we like solve these complex problems um, with artificial intelligence, machine learning, etc.? I uh, took that type of expertise and entered into geospatial data analytics. So this is the study of large data sets that have um, some sort of geospatial aspect to them. So the things on the map, basically. Uh, this was at MIT Lincoln Labs and then Argonne National Labs. Eventually made my way to California where I was a data science um, consultant and then joined Intel where I am currently um, the head of AI for social good. But before that was doing a lot of research in natural language processing. So sort of varied all across the country, but all very lovely experiences. That's really cool. I'm from Boston. So it's oh, great to have another uh, person who lives in Boston on the show. Uh, I've lived there for uh, 10 years now. Cool. Uh, so Intel is investing a lot in AI across the board. We see a, a lot of the things they're doing. Tell us about how they're investing in AI for good. Certainly. So for a number of years, we've been working with mission-oriented um, organizations. So this could be nonprofits, researchers, individuals, and helping connect them to the technology or the technological expertise that they need in order to see their missions forward. So this could be anywhere from some financial assistance to helping connect them to specific um, processors like Xeon scalable processors or giving them like dev cloud access or um, data science expertise. So anything that they really don't have to like drive whatever they're trying to accomplish. So they are the experts in the problem. How do they implement a solution? And then we come with our uh, knowledge and it makes a very good synergy. That's really cool. And can you talk about some of these organizations that you're partnering with? Certainly. So uh, one of the projects is we call TrailGuard AI. And this is with the nonprofit uh, Resolve and National Ge Geographic. And what we've done with them is help them embed uh, the Mavidius Visual Processing Unit uh, chip. This is an accelerator on the edge. And basically uh, help them integrate this chip into a motion capture camera. And these cameras are deployed in game reserve. So you can think of like a national 
park, uh, but these are in Africa or worldwide. And basically what the park rangers have this issue is that there's, you know, about 150 park rangers in the area about the size of Belgium. So way more area than that they can actually <laughs> cover. Um, and the issue that these park rangers are facing is that poachers are fairly rampant right now. So they use these uh, trail cameras to be able to identify if there are people or vehicles in the area. Then um, what the Mavidius VPU does is it can run like object detection on the edge, see if there is something in the frame. Um, the cameras are super, super noisy. Uh, so basically, if the sun changes its direction, they'll take a picture. So 75% of the images are noise. And all of these are getting sent to the park rangers. It depletes the battery. It lo the park rangers lose trust in the system. Um, by running this simple object detection, you can get rid of all that noise. And uh, then they can say, yeah, you know, like this picture, I can clearly see that there is a poacher. Or, you know, this is a farmer. He's just like getting his lost sheep. I don't need to respond. So it's all on the park ranger how, how to actually like um, go about. And this is something that, you know, National Geographic has worked very closely with the park rangers to do. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And this way we can really help protect, help the park rangers protect the animals. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I, I love the protecting animals. My son is obsessed with animals and I get to tell him that AI can be used to protect the beautiful African animals. That's awesome. I'm curious though, like, is there any, like, has there been results? Like, has there been a, has there been a, like a success that's happened because of the, you called it trail bot, was it trail bot? Trail, trail guard. Trail guard. So has there been like a success story or anything like that, that, that you can share in terms of how the, how it impacted? Um, so the, the Trail Guard AI version is just getting deployed. I'm actually heading um, to Kenya in a couple of weeks to help uh, with the deployment, which I'm really excited about. That's so awesome. Like you get to go on a safari for work. For work. That is amazing. <laughs> I, I, I got to figure out. I, I mean, AI that. drives dreams. It really does. <laughs> it <laughs> makes <laughs> dreams come true. <laughs> um, but uh, regardless, like so, that's that's the, yeah, the system is just getting deployed. But we have seen some a lot of successes with the first version. So the the version that um, didn't have like the object detection at the edge, but just basically was sending all the pictures. And I think that they. Uh, we should fact check this, but I think that there are about like fifty different um, poaching poachers that were caught with that original system. Yeah. Um, so even with all that noise, they that's were amazing. able to do some yeah. really great work. Anytime you can catch just one poacher, that's yeah, a big enough. difference, right? Precisely. Is there anything that you could like, take this project and maybe replicate it with some different refactoring across the world? Like, is there anything you're doing with that? No, certainly. So we, we've talked to a few different groups. Um, one is trying to identify where, how... Um, plastic is reaching our oceans. So like there is a lot of plastic in the ocean and there is more that is happening all the time. And there is some idea about like where various plastic uh, is getting into our oceans, but not exactly. So basically what this, what this one uh, researcher wants to do is to put the trail guard or something like it um, on bridges or on where like rivers are getting into the ocean and basically do a plastic detector of a sort. And so be able to say like, you know, this is a fish, this is a plastic bottle. And so by that way, you can sort of start to categorize how much plastic is inflowing and then be able to say, okay, well, what is upstream from here? What are the ways that we can actually prevent um, this from happening, et cetera? But it could be used for other things. Like I've been approached by a few different individuals to help detect for uh, forest fires, for instance, um, or, or other types of things. It's, it's all the similar idea of having some sort of like object detection 
then you just retrain your model. Um, we're, TrailGuard has some other versions actually that we've been working uh, with ourselves, uh, Microsoft AI for Earth, as well as others, um, to sort of detect, you know, like, can we also figure out uh, where various animals are? So, you know, is how many elephants are there in an area, et cetera. So when you talk about animals, I, I have to be selfish here. Like, I, I would love to hear, is there any other stories like where you've partnered to protect the, the, the animal race? And this is I'm literally doing this for my son. I love animals oh, yeah. also. But I would love to hear, like, is there anything else that, that Intel's doing to drive protection of animals or safety somewhere? By the way, your son's favorite animal is awesome. Oh, the sloth? Yeah, the sloth, oh, he's, yeah. a, he's a big fan. His, <gasps> that is so cute. And his favorite color is brown. Like, he is such a unique kid. I love he's it. A, he's a great kid. <laughs> it's all good. I love it. Um, well, nothing with the sloth that I know of right now. Okay, we'll work on that. But um, we have been working with a number of marine um, ecologists and scientists to uh, work on a project called Snotbot. So Wait, say that again? It's what? <laughs> Snotbot. <laughs> okay, but now, see, we were going for my kid for the animals. Now we got the word snot in a, in a bot. Like, <laughs> Hashtag magical. Snotbot. Hashtag Snotbot. There we go. So tell me what Snotbot what is Snotbot? It is a great name. Um, basically, what we've done is uh, help them use drone technology as well as AI to overfly uh, whales and collect uh, the mucus in these petri dishes that are on um, on the drones themselves. And so, basically, this is a very non-invasive way of studying the whale health because you can get a lot of information about, like, what has this whale ingested? Has it gone through a bunch of pollutants, etc.? Um, and then as the drone is overflying, it's taking a lot of pictures of the whale. So once that data gets back onto the ship, we can use like our Xeon scalable processors to be able to get volumetric data about the whales. We can say, okay, is, is this particular whale losing weight? Um, one of the really cool things is I was sort of talking about how you can identify um, elephants in a screen. Uh, the... The fluke of a whale is actually really unique. So you can even do like whale re-identification using its fluke. So like the tail, um, basically you can say, oh yeah, this is whale Martha or whale Fred or whale Big Data Beard or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> if there's not one named Big Data Beard at some point, I'm disappointed. There you go. <laughs> but we can do see whales we have can beards? No, they've got baleen. That's right. There's the one that has the, was it the, like the teeth or something like that that's baleen it looks like looks like a beard there you go exactly it catches things and it just like beards do i know that (laughs) so so yeah better than others (laughs) um but that that really helps the researchers know like how these uh whales are faring and by doing that um whales are the largest marine animal in the ocean you can also say okay well how are the rest of these animals faring because if you if you have a whale that's ingested a lot of oil somehow then you know that there's oil in the ocean somewhere and that's got to have a large effect on the rest of the ecology so how many whales are actually a part of this project i have no clue that's a really good question (laughs) um are you but i guess are you looking to expand it to other areas where there's other types of whales? And what's the next step for the project then? Certainly, yeah. So this uh, could be scalable. Uh, and basically all you need for the whale to be able to study them in this way, all you need the whales to be able to do is to breach. And all the whales breach at some point because mm-hmm. they need to breathe. Um, the other thing that is uh, useful and necessary is that the re- researchers are going off in ships. So basically it's where the ships can go and how long those studies are And how are far the drone for. can fly from the ship based on battery life. There's a lot of factors that go into it. There are a lot. And like how strong the wind is, etc. So and A lot of the stuff you're doing is not just on the edge, but the rugged edge, right? Either whether it's in the, on the ocean, um, 
in Africa. There's a lot of things. So how are you helping harden that equipment to support that type of uh, edge analytics? Yeah, so there's a lot of different things. Um, and actually, one of the cool things is that some of our um, edge devices like the Mavidius chip are starting to be tested to see if they can also fly in space. So there are different things that you can do from satellite types of images. Uh, one of our AI Academy students, she actually was being able to study deforestation from this type of imagery called Landsat data. And basically Landsat data is completely uh, free. And it's really interesting because then what you're able to do is be able to look at larger swaths of data and you don't have to have like that um, in-person presence. Um, but, you know, like if we're able to get some of our chips that are able to do sort of like a first pass and say, oh yeah, you know, like this is uh, one of the issues with satellite imagery and I'm just going to geo-nerd out a little bit here. Let's do it. Love it. <laughs> um, one of the big issues is that you can have a lot of cloud cover, basically. So you never know if a picture you take, it has clouds in it or not. And if you're sending down pictures of clouds, it's, it's useful for cloud scientists, but maybe not for the purpose that you wanted it. So you can do this type of object detection as well up there. So stuff like that is um, definitely part of it, but it is definitely something that we're also doing on land too, to make sure that our hardware is really robust um, and that it works in all different types of areas, which is actually one reason that I'm super excited that we're doing a lot of these AI for good type of projects because it does let us see a lot more use cases and a lot more environments than we would ordinarily see if we were just using it in normal B2B or B2C types of instantiations. Yeah, absolutely. So land, sea, space, supporting everything. All the things. What's your favorite project that you're doing now, have done in the past, all-time oh, favorite gosh. project? That's a really hard question to answer. I think... I wouldn't say it's a favorite uh, just because the use case is so uh, one of the ones that I'm most proud of that we are doing is protecting um, kids. So we've been working with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children for a number of years and helped them to identify which children are most at risk from online predators or from um, real world predators. So these could be individuals that are trying to uh, sexually exploit or even like sex traffic kids. And so it's, it's a problem that we really have to address and have to stop because um, it's just horrendous. Um, so we've worked with them to help. Basically, if you have a website or if you have like social media in particular, if you see um, any post that might indicate that a child is in trouble, you have to, in the United States, you have to tell NECMEC about this. So they get a lot of pings and some of them are real world dangers and some of them are just like uh, accidental. Like you're like, oh yeah, no, this, this is... Um, this is okay mm -hmm. or you know it's fake or something so basically what we help them do is call through and and identify like which kids are most at risk um which jurisdiction they might be in and alert the proper authorities to be able to intervene on the, their behalf uh and that's the entire chain so it's like working with the partners that are able to really help at the end of the day um and it's 
it's helped Nekmek a ton, you know, just being able to do some very simple natural language processing types of techniques, some very simple like IP identification um, has been huge for them, but which is great. You know, we're helping save kids. So it's, it's a hard one to talk about. So yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say it's a favorite project, but no, it's yeah. one it's that I'm really very impactful of. project and really important project. Exactly. Um, seems like with that, though, there can be some challenges in creating an accurate model. What were some of the challenges in kind of putting this into production? Certainly. So especially one of the biggest issues is that, uh, you know, there are images of kids. And one of the big things that they need to figure out is like, how old are these individuals? Um, and the, the data sets that we get uh, on, offline and the ones that we are like usually using in our like image detection type of research they're often celebrities and so like the age classification tools are sort of built on a very specific set of people and they aren't necessarily kids and they're often like um, individuals who have a certain ethnographic perspective so white males you're able to um, identify the age and the gender a lot better than say like uh, black females so this is a study that's been done by researchers mm -hmm. in a lot of different settings so one of the things that we've had to do is make sure that we are training a model um, in a way that is correct and representative and also work with NECMEC to make them understand that, you know, like, yes, we can do some sort of like age profiling, but it's air bars are going to be a lot larger than you might necessarily want. So um, it's, it's something that, you know, having to understand like what are, what can a model do in these instances and what are its limitations? So explaining uncertainty is really hard. It's like, you know, like what does it mean to be say, Oh, I think that this image is of a 14 year old plus or minus five years. Um, is that, you know, okay for you or is that something that you need something a smaller air bar or something basically? Yeah, it's, it's, it is hard sometimes because a lot of these, we talk about models, it's probabilistic, right? It's not always a fat, like a, a binary classification. It's oftentimes probabilistic. I think that's hard for a lot of people looking at AI from the outside that they don't, okay. they maybe don't realize so much of what model development is, is this probabilistic thing. But it's also probabilistic based on data. And people are, okay. you know, we have to have a lot of data to get AI. We've heard that at the conference today. So I, I'm curious, like in the, in the world of data, like how do you make sure that you're getting good data sets? that train models well and avoid some of those challenges you talked about on missing, you know, misidentifying people. It's a, that's one of the biggest challenges. And like the, there is a saying um, where like the model is only as good as the data. Um, and it's, so it's very important to get the best data that you can. And it's, it's interesting because you do want a lot of data. Um, but when we, one thing that we've really been seeing in this space is like, if you are pulling your data from, um, we pull our data from the world basically, but the world does have its own biases and, you know, different perspectives. So like I sort of come from an NLP background and one of, one of the things that we have seen is that, you know, like when you're dealing with natural language processing, so this is like using text, a lot of times what you'll do is you'll just sort of scrape all the news articles from online and all the Wikipedia articles, etc. So just get as much text as you possibly can. And you'll train this model. And there's a model that we often use called like word to vec So it's basically putting words in a space that you can 
have like associations and different things. But um, if you look at the associations between words, you can get relationships. So you'll get things, you know, like if you did your SATs, uh, mm -hmm. have these word associations. So like man is to woman as king is to queen. And it's like, okay, you know, like that's somewhat valid. You could have a woman king maybe or a man king, queen as well. But it's, it's something that is sort of social in society that we've somewhat accepted. Well, that same math uh, relationship works for man is to woman as computer programmer is to homemaker. And that is not so cool. You know, it should be man is to computer programmer as woman is to computer programmer. Cause that is, <laughs> um, but just, you know, like how our, how we represent different people and how we've had these different biases in the past, it's like, infiltrated the data so like those biases um when we train and when we don't really like look to get a, a slightly less biased data set or when we like don't investigate the algorithm at the end of the day these biases can like creep in basically yeah absolutely and i think one of the things that's becoming increasingly more talked about is bias in ai so we talked a little bit about how the state of it today what do you think moving forward the impact of the trajectory of how we're training models is going to impact bias? I think one of the really um, positive things that I've been seeing is the fact that we are talking about it more and more and that we're really trying to address it. And when it's to me and to other people, it has really illuminated um, the biases that could be here. Um, and there's there's a lot of really interesting toolkits that are out there to help. So um, the, there's actually a paper on that example that I gave and like the researchers behind the paper figured out a way to like de-bias those word associations basically. So so that's one way. And then there's, there's different tools from, um, IBM, Google, uh, as well as a lot of others. And we have a blog post about a bunch of like the various toolkits that are out there that, um, we can point to somehow in the show notes or something. But, uh, I don't know. It, it's interesting. And it, it's, it's not an answer that I think we're going to solve right away. And like, even if you use all the toolkits, you're still probably going to have some bias in your model. And it's just, you know, like, how do we actually want to use these types of algorithms? And like, where, where are the issues that might occur? No, but I think you make a really good point. The fact that more people are talking about it, uh, the fact that uh, that alone is going to have people and data scientists change their models, change how they, the data sets, or at least pay attention to those data sets to try and impact it. That's probably not the entire equation, though. So what do you think is the biggest step that we need to embrace to remove bias in, uh, in AI? Well, I mean, to ultimately remove bias in AI, we have to remove bias in society. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or lessen the, 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 the amount impact, of bias. Yeah. yeah. Lessen the amount of bias. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's something that is really hard to do. And it's also interesting because it's not, it's not really clear what the right answer is necessarily either like it this is a question that i think we've been grappling with in like the larger ethics issue like since the like socrates since um or even earlier you know like how how do we decide like what to do or not to do as a society and that's something that we're trying to address also with like as we come into this um ai age basically yeah, it's interesting because of the, I think the regulatory posture is changing. We're seeing governments around the world 
start to adopt a regulatory posture where they have to have their the requesting explainability in the way that AI is is being impacted. I'm curious though, is like, are you seeing any? you know, regulatory environments or even maybe support from like state and local governments that are driving some of this like AI for good concepts? Are, they, are some of these like state funded projects or governments going like, holy cow, not only do we have to figure that stuff out, but how can governments support and give grants to drive AI for good in the in, in the in the world. Yeah, seeing it actually at um, state and government levels, country levels. So uh, one of the things that Intel is going to be involved in at the end of May is the United Nations AI for Social Good Summit. Um, and so this is a multinational uh, type of conglomeration, and the United Nations also has um, the they have seventeen sustainable development goals, and these are very much uh, not necessarily AI for good, but for good type of goals. Um, so it's certainly something that we're seeing. I do see a lot of nonprofits or NGOs as well as governments that are wanting to make better use of um, the data that they have on all the constituents and all the governments and a lot of a lot of the um, applications actually for like TrailGuard are government funded. Cool. Uh, so it's it's definitely something that we are seeing um, occurring both at local, state, national, international levels, which is lovely. That's awesome. I'm really excited that other countries are embracing that as well. And the United Nations is kind of having a part in that. Uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Love to get your thoughts on some of the trends that you're seeing in AI, aside from you know bias and some of that. Just where do you see AI going in over the next couple of years? Certainly, I do see a trend in AI for social good as well as AI ethics. Um, so one of the big drives right now is on AI privacy. So from a research perspective, and actually it's going from research into actuality, uh, things like algorithms like differential privacy or others uh, that, you know, help to ensure that people's data is protected and safe, but allows like these really complex and um, interesting algorithms to be utilized. So especially in the healthcare regime, uh, there's also some really cool things that are even seeing like uh, this being utilized. In, so you talked about explainability. So seeing explainability being utilized more and more and how it can really help um practitioners and individuals understand like what AI is doing. And so people are starting, there's still some fear around it. Um, you know, it's a very large and nebulous word. And we have seen a lot of interesting things in our sci-fi regime, but we're also seeing how useful it can be. Yeah. And AI fear. Uh, we, we actually had a couple conversations about that earlier in the year. Nice. Uh, I think we're far away from where an AI can impact that in a scary way, but what do you think some of the challenges or roadblocks are to getting to that singularity? I think one of the biggest challenges is, you know, understanding what are the limitations, what are the, what is AI really doing under the hood? So I think the more explainable we can make systems, the better, but also like really explaining like what 
what is this being used for? Like one of the things that I think we're seeing more and more is especially around like data privacy types of stuff. So if I am using um, like a voice recognition system or like at home type of thing, like what, when is it listening to me? When, it, when am I going to be interacting with it? How is that information stored? Uh, is it ever going to be sold? And that, that's sort of across the board, you know, like where, where does this data go and how, how, how is this being utilized? And I think that goes a long way. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. I am really uh, happy that Intel and your team are doing these really cool projects to you know land, see space to really help drive goodness with AI. Really appreciate. It. We're actually going to shift gears now, and we're going to go into a rapid fire section. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal in a segment. We like to call Rapid Fire. This Rapid Fire is brought to you by Infoworks.io. Infoworks is a software platform for big data engineers that automates the end-to-end data workflow from source to consumption, including data ingestion, transformation, and data modeling. Infoworks makes it super easy to build and manage lots of analytics use cases on any big data platform, on-premises and in the cloud. Learn more at www.infoworks.io. All right, Anna, this has been fun, but let's get to know you personally. What is the best book you've read recently that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, gosh. I did read the last book of Throne of Glass. Um, it is in the teen paranormal romance genre. Okay. Which I like. So, you know, this is very honest, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, Get real. And I did like the series. I would not rec- recommend it for teens. It's really bloody and gory. And oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. It seems a lot... Okay. It's a different rating than teen. <laughs> I think so, but I, I liked it. And now the series right. is finished. So, okay. um, yeah, Throne of Glass. Do you class. have like a little empty spot because the throne, the series is over? <laughs> no, I've already moved on to another book, oh, but I, okay. I wouldn't recommend Good. it. So. All right, cool. <laughs> so it, we're at a conference and you, you get a chance to talk and do some cool things. I'm curious, if you had a song that you could have played while you're walking on stage, what would it be? Um, I would say Katy Perry. Like, I have the... Tight, no. The roar. Roar, Roar yeah. of the tiger. Yes. There you go. See, now you just made this show for my daughter, too. Now you've covered both my children are happy because she there loves that go. song. All right, so is there a piece or what piece of technology is currently making your life worse? Oh, gosh. Um, I am addicted to my phone. Okay. Um, it's a pretty common theme. It is. <laughs> so I have to, like, every so often purge it of different uh, games. So right now it's Idle Zen, which okay. is that's the game I'm addicted to at the moment. That's a game. It sounds like a media meditation app. Oh, it does, and it, it's like a game without a purpose, and it's supposed oh, no. to be like relaxing and things. It's just like these little balls that fall down. Oh, okay. But the more that you play it, the more that you like. You get addicted to it. Yeah, exactly. They are phones are like a drug. They're tough. They really right. are. So, what is your current uh, personal biggest money pit right now? Where are you spending your disposable income? Hopefully not the app. <laughs> oh, no. No, I, I don't She's do buying that. up the app in, in-game purchases. <laughs> um, I would say, so, hmm, that's a good question. 
I would say like around travel. So I travel a bunch. Uh, one of the biggest things I do is advocate for um, AI for social good. So I told you I'm going to Kenya, which is really cool. So I had to get some clothes for that. Um, before that, I'm going to Japan for another conference. Um, so I'm leaving in a few days. So I am doing a little bit of traveling in Japan. Good so for like, it's beautiful. I know. I'm very excited. So hotels, things like that. Yeah. Um, I don't. A, it's a good way to spend your money. I, I think I agree. so too. But. The biggest purchase item that I recently got was a drum set. A drum so, set? An electronic drum set. Okay. Well, now, were you a drummer or is this something you're going to pick up? Uh, I'm picking it up. So okay. I, I played the piano and the flute, um, yeah. but I just, I don't know. It seemed like fun. That's right. So. Your neighbor's going to love it. Oh, I can put it in here at your phone. Oh, okay. Yeah, so electronic ones yeah. are crazy. Yeah. That was one of the big things. Yeah. yeah. I, that's the only drum set that I think parents should be allowed to give their kids. Oh <laughs> and there's so or much. Or just grandparents. <laughs> there's so much smaller, too. Like, yeah. I think it'll be a lot. We are in apartments, so it'll be a lot easier to, like, move around as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is there a uh, TV show or Netflix series that you're currently binging on? Ooh, um, yeah, Parks and Recreation. I hadn't. Oh, a good one. I hadn't Leslie watched no. it before. It's yeah. so good. So, how far into it are you? Um, I don't know the seasons. I know what she is at, but I don't want to do any spoilers. No, it's all good. So, yeah. weird side note: Brett is uh, obsessed with The Office, and obsessed so one time, very it's, it's, that's there. a very it's a it's accurate. Interesting. Um, and it's so much so that he went full savant on me. He was like. If you name an episode, he's like, I can tell you what, what season and episode number it was. Nice. And we tried him out, and he, he did it. He was actually able to do it. He's like, season three, episode seven. And I'm like, oh, I travel a lot, too. <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. All right, so we may Good have covered it. So so what interesting places are you going next that you're most excited about? We heard Japan mm-hmm. and Kenya. Any other crazy cool places? Yeah, and then I guess end of May, I'm going to Switzerland for the UNAI for Good um, Summit. And that's like, I'm also going to Boston for like a meditation retreat which I'm very excited about that'll yeah. be good but yeah I'd say Japan and Kenya are the most exciting those are pretty big time I'm they're not gonna lie they're very cool so. well Anna thank you so much for being on it's been awesome to hear what Intel's doing to uh, improve the world using AI so thank you very much well thank you as well the Big Data Beater team learned a lot at the AI conference in New York and we also had a great time met a lot of really interesting people If you weren't able to attend the O'Reilly AI Conference in New York City, don't worry, there's three more opportunities around the world for you to attend. The next AI Conference is taking place in Beijing on June 18th through the 21st. After that, there's San Jose, September 9th through the 12th, and then London, October 14th through 17th. As always, you can use promo code PCBEARD for 15% off your conference pass. We'll see you there. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify.